You're listening to the Zoe Turner Podcast, business and mindset conversations that will help you move from fear and uncertainty to development and growth so that you can crush both life and business. Please welcome your host, Zoe Turner. On today's podcast, it's time to show up, wise up, and rise up with the Queen Bee, Danny Wallace, former serial self-saboteur. Hi, Zoe. Hi, Danny. Former serial self-saboteur, having grown up on the council estates of Preston, Danny has survived the adversity of domestic violence, homelessness, and single parenthood to become a leading voice in empowerment and she's quickly become one of the most exciting motivational speakers to hit the UK stage in a long long time so welcome again to the podcast Danny. Thank you very much Zoe I would love to take you around to introduce me on all of the things everywhere now it's beautiful I couldn't have written it better myself. (laughs) Danny what are you grateful for today? Oh my gosh, it's, this is, I love this question, Zoe, because when I was in the depth, absolute depths of despair, um, I was grateful for the breath in my body. And I think when you, when you are struggling to find things to be grateful for, the other is something to be massively grateful for. So even today in, you know, my, my business has become really successful. I've got beautiful kids. I'm very, very lucky. We're just moving into our dream house in the next couple of weeks. I'm, I'm grateful for the breath in my body. I'm grateful that I get to put one foot in front of the other. And it sounds glib, but it's true. I'm just so grateful for every opportunity that I get to, to keep moving forward. So yeah, I'm grateful for that this morning. Amazing. Thank you for that. Danny, you love a good elevator pitch. Tell us what you do in a few succinct sentences. Well, Well, uh, so for those of us that haven't met, my name is Danny Wallace and I'm the Queen Bee, which is an audacious statement to make. It's a community of people who happen to be in business or be digging on personal development. We help each other show up, wise up and rise up. So the way that I do that, my business in that is public speaking. So I help particularly but anyone with a mission message I help them articulate that and share that so that they can help more people and that's what I do and I'm just so very blessed to be able to do it. Our previous life experiences they really do shape us and they shape how we show up in terms of our own life and business. How have your past experiences helped you to help others like you are doing today? Everybody's story the potential to be somebody else's survival guide and all of the things that I've experienced even as I was experiencing it I remember saying to myself at the time if I get through this and I and I find that there's a way through this I'm gonna help people get through this you know if it means that it doesn't take them as long so all of the experiences that I've had you know I I grew up it wasn't abject poverty but we were very much on the breadline Domestic abuse was generational. So if I look to the side of me and behind me, my mum, my dad, my grandparents, aunties, uncles, cousins, it was something that was inherent. And I found myself falling into the same trap. Uh, My goal, I guess, to use those experiences 
to to break the cycle and that's what I do now and I'm so very very lucky that I have the self-awareness and that ability to be able to look at all of my experiences and say okay where was I responsible there we all seem to think that life maybe happens to us but we have a choice in everything that we do um or how we react to anything that we're served so for me all paths have led me here to speaking to you all paths have led me to helping the thousands of people that I help as part of not just my speaking and my community but the charity that I've just created the Fly Anyway Foundation where we help survivors of domestic abuse uh, build businesses to to regain their independence financially from a confidence point of view so all of those experiences have led me to make the decision that my story gets to be somebody else's survival guide and in that we all get to link arms and and rise up so I'm I, there are never any regrets. I never feel sad about my experiences. Can you share us a little bit about your experiences? For the audience listening, though, that don't know who you are, Danny, can you share a little bit of your story with us yeah. today? Yes, absolutely. I'm from the northwest of England in a, a, one of the smaller cities called Preston, which is just north of Manchester. And as I said, we grew up in relative poverty. We were definitely on the breadline, even if it was just a little bit below. Money was hard won. Uh, it was hard worked for and very little in terms of, you know, how hard you worked did not necessarily correlate with how much money that you earned. You know, everybody had the nose to the grindstone. It was quite chaotic as I was growing up as well, because I was saying to you about that, uh, that generational domestic abuse. It meant that cousins would often come to live with us. A house was like a revolving door of essentially foster kids and foster cousins that would come and stay with us. And all the while, things were chaotic between my mum and dad. So when I got of age, when when I say of age, 16, um, I, I decided essentially to run away with the circus. I didn't run away with the circus quite. I found that I could sing. And so I moved abroad and traveled abroad and sang all over the world in different, in different productions, hotels, resorts and what have you. But it wasn't a proper job. And people like me from where I come from didn't go and work in entertainment. I was always seeking this sort of external validation all the time from audiences, from, you know, friends, from drinking, all of this. And um, there was this kind of quiet whisper from home. You need to come home and put down some roots. This isn't a proper job. Even though I was working all over the world, I was in a beautiful experience. It wasn't a proper job. So with that in mind, I came back to the UK and I thought, well, if I, if I want to do things properly, and if we think about the way that things are, are done properly, you you know, you go to nursery, go to primary school, you go to high school, college, university, you get a job, you get married, you have kids, you have a career, and then you retire and die. I was like, I didn't really subscribe to that way of thinking, but I thought if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. So there was like this husband-shaped hole that I filled with the first agreeable person. And he wasn't necessarily the right the right man for me. However, we uh, got together, we got engaged, had a baby, we bought a house and I got a job. And two weeks after we sent the invites out to our wedding, he woke up and just said, I don't want any of this. And he just left, which left me feeling really vulnerable. And from that kind of cyclical behavior, my my in my vulnerability, I would seek validation from external relationships. So I fell into a relationship very quickly afterwards with somebody who turned out to be a narcissist, somebody who turned out to be a perpetrator of domestic abuse. And he carried his own baggage with him. We were like terrible, terrible magnets. 
Um, and that ended up with a, a court intervention and we, you know, there was an injunction in place and we were able to sort of untangle ourselves from each other. Well, it left me with two kids under the age of four. So I had this great career on top. I was working in corporate, doing leadership training and presentation training. It was brilliant, but all underneath my personal life was in tatters. So I had a real knock on my mental health because I was living in this duality, this trying to hold on to my job for dear life and pride. And then underneath, my relationships and my friendships were, were through the floor. I'm a finances, so much so that very quickly after that, we ended up being homeless, me and the kids, and we had to sofa surf. Uh, with our support network. And that really took me to a real low point whereby I was with my job, because it was a brilliant job, I was having to go to and from uh, Preston to London a couple of days a week. And my mum would have the girls or my sister or my friends, whoever was helping me at the time. And I would tuck the kids into bed. I remember sitting in the car, it's like something out of the movie it was raining outside and I remember not knowing after I've left the house had I kissed the kids goodbye or goodnight. I didn't know. Um, because I wasn't making any good decisions. I wasn't taking responsibility for anything. I was allowing life to happen to me. I wasn't even bothering trying to fend off the punches anymore. I was just rolling with them. I was just, life was just washing over me. And I was crying in the car and I thought, God, you've got a choice here right now. You either leave or you, 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 you stop allowing life to happen to you and you start happening to life. And that's the decision that I made in that moment. And then from there, started to rebuild my life. Things like asking for help, even doing more personal development and allowing myself to piece myself back together, but taking that responsibility for my reactions. You know, I say to my kids now, your reactions dictate your outcomes. And my reactions weren't the best because I wasn't strong enough or self-aware enough or in love with myself enough in order for me to be able to take those um those steps forward and and that's and that's kind of brought me to today I started to piece myself back together and started singing full time again and built the I and the Queen Bee movement started really pushing the public speaking and and it's just snowballed from there and now we, we're just about to like I say we're just about to move into our dream home and and yeah life is good again which is really nice it's a nice spot to be in Take us back to the early days, Danny. I'm really interested in knowing where that confidence came from because I'm from the north as well. You're from the, the northwest. I'm from the northeast. So I know what it's like to grow up um, with not a lot of money. It can be quite depressing up north sometimes. I was also a social worker for many years and I worked in the northwest as a social worker. Gosh. I worked in Liverpool and I worked in Lancashire. So I used to work, do Accrington, Preston, Burnley, all around Lancashire. I worked as a child protection social worker for many, many years. So I'm very familiar mm -hmm. with the uh, disadvantages that people experience. You know, a lot of kids just don't recognize that they have self-worth. You know, a lot of children that come from right. families that dysfunctional, they don't see that self-worth. And it can often take years and years of work themselves and bad mistakes to for them to recognize that yeah. from your what your story from what you're saying yeah there were lots of bad mistakes but for you to initially 
think, right, I'm worth a lot more than this, and I'm going to start a career in singing, and I'm going to leave the Northwest, and I'm going to go and work on the cruise ships. Where did that self-belief and that confidence come from? The, well, the thing is, when I was in the younger years, that wasn't confidence. That was, I was in, if, if, if you think about stress responses being fight or flight, um, I was running away. That's what I was doing. It wasn't a confidence thing. It was, uh, I was the youngest of all, at, at that time, all of the cousins. And as as such, it being very busy, um, I would I would have to shout the loudest in order to be heard. I'd, I, you know, I had to make myself the biggest in order to be heard. So I became the performer. And that's where I found my role. Whereas actually underneath the confidence, it wasn't confidence. It was extroversion. It, you know, it was, it was, I would put on the confidence hat for people so that I could feel seen. If we think about, you know, human needs being, you know, significance and, and being seen and recognition, I, that's how I, how I was able to retrieve it. It was in my noise I guess uh, which wasn't comp that wasn't confidence that was when you're an extrovert and you get your you know you get your energy from being around other people that's what I did and I found that because I could sing it was it was an easily recognizable way for me to be seen so when I was 16 and I didn't realize that this is what I was doing at the time I just got as far away as I could from the mess that was at home to to really it was it was like a, the ultimate self-preservation as a child so even though um it's funny I posted about this on my on my um on my socials yesterday um that people would mistake my extroversion people would mistake my performance for confidence and that underneath I didn't have that kind of self-worth I didn't really believe in myself I just knew that I could sing and that people would pay me to sing so okay well I'll go and get paid to sing then it was only as I got older and I got to know myself that actually that confidence started to grow and it's a much quieter thing that when people think of confidence they think of like jazz hands or they think of um you know, being being loud and all of that, and that is—it's not the case. It's it's a it's a knowing, it's a knowledge and acceptance of yourself. And I wasn't very accepted of myself at all, and that displayed itself in you know in drinking very heavily, in um, in relationships that really weren't healthy for me, both friendships, employer relationships, and all of that sort of stuff. And it was only when I started to really know myself and listen to myself that actually. I was able to trust myself to make better decisions to move forward. So you worked in corporate, Danny, and then you went back to being a singer. And now I've just finished reading your book, by the way, but I absolutely loved it. And congratulations yeah. on the success of your book. It really is fantastic. Thank really, you. really interesting read. Your success has been, has been really quick in terms of like you really do just get stuff done. And reading your book, <laughs> that really jumped out the pages at me because you had a goal and you set that goal and you really worked at achieving that. Is there anything mm -hmm. specific that you did that you'd like to share with us that enabled you to do that so quickly to get to where you are today in such a short space of time from you making that decision? Because I know so many coaches and speakers that it can take them years and years to get that momentum, especially in the online space. So what was it with you? What did you do that that was different? I think for me already, I was already audience building before I realized I was audience building. 
So what I did started from years ago, as soon as you could go live on a phone, I was sharing what it was that I was doing because it was because I was a singer. By the time you could start doing lives and things like that from your phone, because I was a singer, it was interesting things to share. So I'd be um, more often than not putting my makeup on in the car, getting ready for a gig. And I was playing a uh, dressing room roulette. So uh, and what I mean by that is that when you're a singer, and you're driving up and down the country, you're never guaranteed the kind of dressing room that you're going to get. It might be a beautifully well-lit, you know, curtain-adorned situation, or it might be a disabled toilet or a beer cellar. You know, you never know. And I didn't want to play, like, I didn't want to play that game anymore. Uh, so what I started to do is I started to put my makeup on in the car. So I would prop my phone up, and this was, like, to keep me safe as well, because if I was live and somebody tried to carjack me, or if somebody tried to like mug me or something, it would be caught on camera and then someone would be able to be alerted. So it was like a, a safety thing. And so I would put my phone up on the dash and put my face on. And there's something very strange about people putting makeup on on the internet. It's very cathartic to watch. Like, and they would watch me put my makeup on. It's very strange. But I would muse on life. I would talk about um, what I was getting up to, the scrapes I would get in. I would talk about personal development, what I was working on. I would talk quite openly about my anxiety. I have generalized anxiety disorder. It's something that I've had knowingly since I was about four or five years old, um, where my where my body has a stress response to, to things even if I could just be walking down the street and a thought could enter my head and that could that could send a, a sort of whirlwind of anxiety, physical anxiety responses. So it's something that I've been managing for a long, long time. So I talk about it because mental health, as you know, Zoe, is, is something that we need to open up the conversation about. Mental health is the same as physical health. You, you can't be healthy without being healthy within it. So I would talk about things like that and people would watch me. Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, Monday night, getting ready for these gigs. And I thought, well, okay, so I, I think I can provide value in this space now. And I want to provide value in the small business space. So then I was already showing up. So I just started showing up, but telling people to go somewhere. So I started to hold them in one spot, which is the IATQB Hive. And I always had the intention of creating a movement that was based on a quote that I saw in the in the film The Bee Movie, which goes along the lines of bees aerodynamically shouldn't be able to fly. Their little wings shouldn't get their fat body off the ground. So the bee doesn't care what humans think is impossible. The bee flies. Anyway, I was like, right. So if I could create a movement based on the concept of flying anyway, then I think that's something I could get out of bed for. And that's what I just I started to share it. And then I started to put together a suite of programs that where I could help people and allow people to network safely in a group without being spammed and started to just put that together. And I think it happened, it it looks to have happened quickly, but actually it's more like seven or eight years in the making. Mm -hmm. So the outward, I have a, I have a program called the Overnight Success Program, and it's a bit tongue in cheek because there are Zoe no overnight successes. There are none. There are people that have, have honed their craft for years, and then someone will like the touch paper. And for me, it was a mentor of mine, a guy called Brad Burton, and it was almost like I needed permission to stop hiding. I was bound by benefits. I was bound by uh, in in the UK we have um um. Uh, Called, they're called tax credit low so that you can you know be as tax efficient as possible but 
that means that you can't earn, there was a glass ceiling to what I could earn and it was a frightening prospect to let that safety net go. And I think once I realised how I could monetize the, the programmes that I had, I didn't need that safety net anymore. And so then I ran and I was running away from everything that I'd had previously, the working my working my fingers to the bone, singing, my shoulda, coulda, woulda's up and down the UK, <laughs> you know, in, in empty pubs. I know we were joking about that just before. But I, I was running, I found myself running so hard away from my past and so much more towards what my versions of success were. It became compelling to watch. And I think that's why the trajectory has been the way it's been, is people have been following me for a long time, have known what my struggles have been. So now they can see me actually creating the life that I really want. It's, it's a compelling watch, you know, Um and also the things that I the things that I sell and and then the courses that I do and the one to one programs that I do really really genuinely help people and I think that helps as well. So I've got an incredible, uh, you know, incredible bunch of value to give to you know my clients and to my audience and they enjoy watching the story and I think that's I think that's just what has been the whole catalyst for the whole thing. Let's talk about mentors, Danny. How important have mentors been to you? You alluded to, was it Brad Burton then? Brad Burton, uh, yeah. yeah. Which in, what mentors have been really important in your life and who have they been other than, you know, Brad and anybody else? So I didn't realise that mentors were even a thing in the entrepreneurial space. And the more I learned about successful entrepreneurialism, and, and success for people in business, the more I found that these people always talk about the people that have shown them the way. Otherwise, you're kind of fannying around in the dark trying to make it up as you go along. And for me, I was like, I have not got time to make this up. I need to go and find people who have done the thing that I want to do, create movements, speak on stage, get paid to do it, write books, create online courses. I need to go and find the people that have created those the best I could possibly follow, and then go and align myself with those. So when I first started on my own personal development journey, my first like life coach, I guess, was a lady called Heidi Maver, the Unstoppable Woman, who had a small coaching business, but first introduced me to asking the questions that I would ask my clients. It's like the cobbler's shoes getting... I don't know if you've heard the story of, of the, the cobbler and his, his shoes and the kids' shoes. He would make the best shoes for the world and his shoes would be rubbish shoes. So I started to do the work on myself. And then I was like, right, okay, so I want to be a speaker. Who's one of the best speakers in the UK? How can I follow them? The number one UK motivational business speaker in the UK is, is a guy called Brad Burton. Right. What does he do? Is that how do I access him? How do I find out more about him? Well, it turns out he has live events that he does and he has a, like a membership and all of this. So I'll go and find out more about it. And, um, he was able to see in me that fire, that um, that real drive to, to make things better for myself. And he was like the one that first gave me permission. Then it was learning from incredible other coaches, business strategists, um, like Lisa Johnson, for example. Lisa Johnson Coaching has been really key in, in the creation of the business side of my business because I found it was great at creating a movement, making lots of noise and getting people excited, but what about? So she helped me put together, you know, my suite of services, how to launch, all of that sort of stuff, the technical stuff that I didn't. I'm a creative. I don't know these things. So Lisa Johnson was really integral in my growth. Um, and then other people like on the periphery books that I've read, people like Dan Meredith, for example, his book is, I don't know if we're allowed to swear, How to Be Effing Awesome is uh, is his book. Um, and then aligning my 
myself and making friends with these people as well and, and saying, look, you know, with Lisa, I couldn't afford her services to start with. And she was really kind and, and gave me sort of a very, very, very basic framework. Go and do that, come back and then come and do this, which is what I did. So I was able to level up my investment and level up my mentors every time I implemented what they told me to do. And it's just been so integral to my success is having those people that have overcome the things that I want to overcome and then off and and then aligning myself with them, being friends with them, or paying for their services. Yeah. So Des yeah, super not important. Having the money to invest, you always seemed to come up with the money to to invest yeah. in mentors. So it's obviously something that you you felt that you had to do and that you valued. Um, and I think that's what kind of maybe holds a lot of people back these days is that they just don't have the money and then they're scrambling around on yeah. the on YouTube and on the internet right. looking at all the free resources but it's almost there's that much stuff out there quite often right. they just don't know where to turn and they just get a bit lost with it all you know what was right. it that that really gave 100%. you that survival instinct and and made you think right I'm going to pay for this well, first of all, it was low-level investments. So I didn't I didn't start my investing in myself journey paying tens of thousands of pounds for mentors. I started my investment journey with Audible. I I I'm, I was drinking wine and uh, an okay-ish bottle of wine from the test go around the corner it was, it was about seven or eight quid, nine. So I was like, right, well, I'm going to swap out one of my bottles of wine this week for an audible book and that was my first investment is that I would listen to an audible and I was driving around because obviously I was I was gigging and so I would listen to the book because I'm a busy mum I've got three kids I don't have time to sit down and read uh, arguably I do if I was to create the time but I was like I'm busy I want to absorb this and go so I the first investment I made in myself was $7.99 a month in audible the second was a like a low level membership but it allowed me to get closer access to those mentors. So for Brad Burton, it was the Now What Club. And they're around 35, 40 pounds, something like that. And then in, in that, you get access to the, the thinkings and the inner workings of these fabulous mentors. Lisa Johnson, for example, has the, the GSD Society. So, so up-leveling the investments each time allowed me to learn a little bit more. And what I found is, what many people do find is, the more skin you put in the game, the more likely you are to play the game. And I and, and that's what I got. So I could only afford $7.99 a month at the start. I could only afford £35 a month after that. I could only afford a couple of hundred quid that I had to put on a, a payment plan in order to get to a personal development event at, at that next level. So I didn't go straight into investing thousands and thousands, but I allowed myself to invest little amounts incrementally getting bigger until then yeah I could put eight nine ten thousand pounds on the table to get that and every time I've invested I've had a return on that investment tenfold every single time I just want to congratulate you Danny on on kind of your success and becoming uh, you know just making money you know because for such a long time you were working <laughs> so hard and just not making anything and I've seen the pictures of your house yeah and it actually looks like a mini little mansion that you're buying <laughs> you've bought the land oh, it's a little tiny mansion 
it's 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 a, it's a new build. I've not bought the land. I'm not getting the house built. It is a it is it's it's on a um a, a suburb like a new suburban estate. Uh, but it is a new build. So I've seen every brick go down on it. House though, isn't it? It looks like you bought the land actually because from the pictures I can see, it looks like the yeah. house is just standing alone. Yeah, it's because it's been built on what used to be farmland. It is a detached house, but it is on like a, it's on the corner of what's going to be like a wider estate. Um, but it is, it is my dream house in a quiet area. I mean, where I live right now. So for that, for anybody that's watching, I can look outside and I can see the row of council estate shops that are all boarded up. You know, we regularly get our windscreens put through and our tires slashed. Like this is even as recent as the last 12 months because the house that we moved into is the house that I'm living in now is the house that I moved into after I was homeless. So it was very lucky to find myself in a position where I didn't have to pay a deposit to get in here it were friends you know mum and dad that had bought the house and they very kindly allowed us to get in and it's been that amount of time trying to I really did a lot of healing around my relationship with money money was something to be frightened of when I was growing up like if somebody knocked on the door we had to hide behind the sofa <laughs> because because more often than not, it was somebody asking for money or, you know, a high interest doorstep loan or yeah. something like that. You know, money was something to be frightened of. You've got to pay your bills, you know, or, or you know, losing the house really was a kind of fulfillment. I was a self-fulfilling prophecy of only ever just having enough. And the whole I am the queen bee, that statement is a reclamation of your birthright to abundance. It's our birthright. However, some of us aren't born into it we just have to go and be a little bit more tenacious about seeking it and about healing that relationship with money is just an energy it's an exchange as opposed to something that's coming for you and I think once I'd really got to grips with that it was easier to make and that sounds a little bit woo-woo I know and it's hard I remember hearing people talk like me when I had nothing thinking, yeah, all right, I can heal my relationship with money. And all like, I love money and money flows abundantly to me. And I'll say it every day. You've got to take action against it. But falling in love with money again and that not being dirty was a real revolution, a revolution, a revelation for me. Like I, I almost like if I was to write a letter to money, the energy of money, I would have to apologize for pushing it away. I would would have to apologize for not being careful with it. I would have to apologize for not welcoming it into my life. I would have to apologize for being frightened of it. That, that if you think about the, your relationship with money is like a love relationship, an intimate relationship. So then how do you behave in that intimate relationship? You spend time on it. You love it. You welcome it in. You create space for it. And that's that was the that's the, the relationship shift. So and I really kind of congratulate myself on making the money, so to speak, because the money is a byproduct of healing, of healing that relationship with myself, healing the relationship with it. And and then once that starts to happen and I'm living within my purpose, the money's happening because again, from being a savvy business business owner, I've got a suite of products and services that are really in my flow space. I love what you're saying about the scarcity. A question that I do have, can we truly overcome it? You know, would you say that you've truly overcome it? And I guess the reason I'm asking this, it's probably from a no. more personal perspective. Recently, I've been um, dealing with a lot of issues of like scarcity as well. And, and I know a lot of that yeah. does, a lot of it, all our problems, 
a lot of it has its obviously roots in our childhood and um, I mean it was a strange one yeah. for me as we were growing up because my dad was successful he was a successful businessman but my parents got divorced when we were three my mum remarried and money was really really tight and my dad yeah although he did pay money he paid very very little Look, I love him dearly. As little as he possibly could. And he's, look, he's, I'm very close to my dad and he's been a great father to me. So I'm not disrespecting him in any way whatsoever. But I guess no. the times were different then. And and he he didn't pay an awful lot. But I do remember money just being really tight in terms of... I remember mm. times being embarrassed of my school uniform. You know, and then since then, I went on yeah. and... I'd never known what it was like to not have money because I just saved. I saved, even though like never right. had a lot of it, I always saved and saved. More recently, I've got a challenging case going on. And again, that's bought, which is costing a lot of money. Mm. It's a court case. And that's bringing up all these feelings of scarcity. And I'm kind of thinking, right. oh my gosh, I thought, you know, I'd gotten over that. But I've done this. But no, and I'm just wondering, does it ever really go away? You know, we can work on it and we can do the affirmations in the mirror, but I'm wondering, does it ever go away? I really, really hope that it does. Maybe I've just not done enough enough work on it yet. I think, Zoe, with anything, two things. One, if we're talking about money as a relationship, as with any relationship, it takes it's like when you when you marry somebody you don't just get married and then live happily ever after it's a roller coaster you've got to tend to that relationship and I think it's the same with money you've got to tend to that relationship checking in with yourself how are we feeling right now are you being savvy about it are you being careful with money is it a free and easy relationship how does that feel so is that checking in but then also new levels bring different devils so Yes, I have a multiple six-figure business, but yes, I now have massive big VAT bills to pay, a massive big corporation tax bills to pay, and all of that. So it's it, again, when you have that degree of success, you've got to check in again with yourself. Like, how does this make you feel? It's like when I pay my taxes now, I have to remember to. Like, I've got a little happy "I'm paying my taxes" song that I sing when I'm paying it. I'm like, I'm so happy I'm paying my tax because it means that I'm earning lots of money. It's their god because I've got to raise the vibration around it. Otherwise, oh god, I paid tens of thousands of pounds that I've been paid that is in my bank account that I can't touch, and I've got to give it all away now. I've got to really think about okay. Um, <laughs> I'm grateful because it means that I'm doing well and I'm being savvy with my money. So what I'm not, so with the relationship side of things, it's tending to that money like a garden. Okay. So I can't touch that tax money. That's okay. Because it's, it, that's good money. That's going to go and help the NHS in the UK. That's good money. That's going to help our teachers in the UK or whatever that, that money's going to do. That's me being able to give back in a way that I've never been able to give. In fact, that I've taken, so I get to give that back. So I have to, again, check in. Because I remember paying those bills for the first time going, <laughs> no, thank you. I don't want to pay that. But then if I'm resistant to it, I'm not going to want it more. So I've got to think, well, the bigger the tax, but and yes, there's, there's, there's um, you know, it could be tax efficient. And, you know, I've got um, my, you know, my ops manager that looks after all of that. But it's every single time and my wealthiest friends multiple seven figure earners are still checking in with themselves and their money mindset you know they get to six figures then multiple six figures and then they say all right well I want seven figures I've stopped ch chasing that now 
And I'm looking for my measure of success is around the stability and the security for my family. And then the nice things on top, maybe a bit of travel, you know, maybe being able to give back and all of that. So, so relaxing around it as and knowing that it's an energy and it's in constant flow. When you get to scarcity, and I think now, Zoe, is a real great example of that, January particularly. So in the, in the summer, and again, I can only speak for the UK because that's where I am. In the summer, there were these bounce back loans and people were quite freely spending in the right spaces, especially in the online space. They were, they were spending on courses and programs and one-to-ones and it still felt a little bit to those that were really in it, a bit like a party. Whereas in January, lockdown version 3.0 here in the UK, people started to get scared. People now can't see the end of this and people are, you know, people starting to get worried. People are starting to be very, very conscious about what they're spending. And that doesn't mean that the money is stopped. It means that you've got to make sure that you're adding value to those people. You're helping those people, not just to open up the version of success. And I think that when you're in a a service-based job like I am, it's being able to say, okay, if you invest this, I know that you're going to be able to make the ROI back because we're going to do that work. We're going to help you get there. So I just, it doesn't, I don't think it ever stops. It is a constant work in progress. For me, it was being just enough, just having enough to get by. So I'd earn this money and then I'd take on a new member of staff and then I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have that extra bit. It would be gone on something else and realising then that then I have to have pots of savings and all of that. It is it's a constant work in progress. I was watching something online the other day. I think it may have been Grant Cardone, actually. I'm not so sure. But they were alluding to the fact that even just saving your money in the bank that is a scarcity mindset. Counting your pennies up in your bank because, right. you know, whilst your money's in your bank, it's like hoarding and it's not earning you any money. Anyway, we've kind of like discussed scarcity a lot, but yeah, it's a really interesting subject. Really interesting. Let's talk about peer groups. Mm. Let's talk about peer groups. I love peer groups. Oh, I love my peer group. <laughs> I know. Um, Tony Robbins says, our lives are a direct expectation think that's the right quote of our peer group the quality of our lives mm-hmm. is uh, you know I always say this wrong <laughs> maybe I'm saying it right I, I, I tell you know. what I similar the similar one Jim is is one of the ones that I kind of take with me is that if you look to the left and the right of you and the people that you are close to your heart friends your business friends your tribe your audience are all people that are looking in the same direction and pulling in the same direction you can't help but be propelled towards that if you look to the left and the right of you and you've got people that are scared you've got people that are in debt you've got people that making poor choices then you are probably going to find that you are going to be held back it's just the nature of what you surround your mind we're like osmosis like it's like this osmosis of energy between you so if you are if, you know if you a prime example of this is your facebook feed or your so if you scroll a negative people that are scaremongering people that are you know hung up in in the negativity of the world how, and we spend a lot of our time on social media, how is that going to make you feel? It's going to make you feel pretty crappy. So then what can you do? Curate your feed. So one of the first things I did when I started to do this work on myself was I started to curate my social media feed. I would I would see people who, you know, were complaining. I'd see people who were whinging and I'd just either mute them or snooze them or if I weren't even connected with them, I'd just unfriend them. And it, it sounds awful. But I'm just, I don't have time to be held back by the what 
if I fall? What happens if we fall? I surround my pe- myself with people. Well, what if I fly? Mentality. If we fall, that's okay because an expert in the field is someone who's made all the possible mistakes they could have done, and that's great because that makes them successful. They know now not what to do. If you go around being afraid of falling, if you go around being afraid of yourself and being afraid of what possible success you could have, you're not going to be successful. So if you are with people who are open to that possibility, then it can only move you forward. I tell an analogy of crabs in a bucket. If you put crabs in a bucket, one will try and escape and the other crabbies will pull it down. You know, will will climb over it to try and get out themselves or pull it down back into the safety of the Okay, I don't know what the psychology of pull it down. And that is a perfect example. Are you in a bucket full of crabs or are you seeking for the people on the outside of that bucket with their arms out going here? This is where we're going. And that's curating your circle is so important. Be heard is your signature course. So as someone that's been talking from... A very early age, um, singing on stage, talking on stage. What tips would you give anyone out there who do have a fear of public speaking? Uh, there's two, if, it, if this is helpful. So one is understanding that closed mouths don't get fed. Mm. If you don't talk about what it is that you do, be that in copy, be that in speech. However, if you don't talk about what it is that you do, how on earth are you going to expect the world to know and be excited by and then therefore buy from you and get your products, goods and services? If you don't open your mouth and talk about what it is that you do and share your excitement. No one I know, Zoe, is in business because they don't want to help someone. Most people, even product-based businesses, are in business because they want to help. They want to help their consumers or their clients feel great they want to help them with their business strategy they want to help them with their mental health they want to help them I don't know write beautifully if they're selling a sharpie they they, they want to help they were not in the business of not helping and I was on the voice um the, the tv program the voice here on the bbc um in the uk in 2014 they didn't show me uh, because they'd already filled their spaces but as part of the recording process I got to sing for Tom Jones, so Tom Jones and Will I Am and Ricky Wilson from The Killers and Rita Ora. And they all turned around at the end and they they, they obviously they'd not turned around to, to get me because they couldn't. And I'm crying because that was like my, that was my goal. You know, the only way that a singer over 30 is going to make it is if they do it through reality TV is, is the general gist of it in the music industry. So I'm crying because that's it. I've blown it. And Will I Am actually turned around to me and he went, you've got a gift, Danny. You can sing. Who like four people in the entire of the world didn't turn around today? Seven and a half billion, seven point eight billion people now in the world, and you're telling me that you're sad that four people said no. Seven and a half billion people in the world who you are now not going. What you're not going to go and share your gift with those people? Who are you not to? So if you're feeling frightened of sharing what it is that you do, you've got to remember that if you're not talking about what you do, the people that you are helping are going to go unhelped by you and who are you not to so one is understanding that actually if you don't then you're not going to be built building your business in in the way that that is as strong as it could be and two the people who you really want to help are going to go unhelped if you don't 
And that's so important. Like we're not in a in business to not help people. We're in business to help people. Stop thinking about the money and the bottom line and all of that. Think about the people that you actually want to help and go and help them. And you will find that the rest of it, if as long as as long as you're surrounding yourself again with the right people and the right thought processes, will start to slot together. Yeah. So one is to remember that if you're not yeah. talking, mm-hmm. you're not re- you're not reaching people or building your business. Mm-hmm. And the other is to remember that you're gonna there are gonna be people unhelped by you. If you want another one, I could chuck another one in because I'm <laughs> like I'm quite I'm quite happy to share. The other is if you if you are speaking on stage or if you are gonna go live, what I would do is I would get a song that really makes you feel great. Like the, the one that makes you do the embarrassing mum dancing to the dance song, the, the I'm coming out song. Direct effect on your energy. Sound is frequent and your energy is frequency so if you are allowing yourself to raise your frequency before you press go live you'll be putting yourself in an alpha state which means you won't be in a beta state which means you'll be able to deliver much more strongly so listen to some music prior to doing any kind of speaking that really makes you feel happy that lifts you up yeah that's a great tip Danny, thank you for that. Thank you so much for your time today. There's so many other questions that I could ask you, but I'm conscious of time. We've been talking for 50 minutes already. Let me just ask you one more question. This is just out of curiosity. I don't know whether or not I should give this question the airtime that I am, but I was just really interested because I'm a big believer in karma. And if we don't do what's right, in business and in life, then at some point it's going to come back and it's going to bite us on the backside. In your book, you spoke about an incident where somebody had backstabbed you. You shared with them um, Mm. an idea that you had for, I don't know, releasing some course or something. And they basically stole that and did it themselves. Was that person successful? And are they still around today? That's what I'd like to know. They're successful in their own right. But when it comes to things like that, I'm very much a bless and release situation. Because the thing is, I could really hang on to that and it could eat me up. And what I would be doing essentially is wasting bandwidth, wasting my time trying to chase justice. When actually, it's not my job to be chasing justice. Like... I had this idea. The, the the thing is that when you're showing up in your entire authenticity, there's two things to remember. There's no new news. Not really. We're all kind of saying the same things. It's remembering that it's the delivery. It's the unis of it that is, is what makes you stand out. So that person, yes, went on and took the idea. And they were moderately successful with it. I've since been out and done that idea and had and been wildly successful with it. So it doesn't, it, I don't really think about it as a karma thing or karma will get that person. It's that, that all right, they're going to go and do that. Fair enough. I'm going to let them because my people are going to come to me for me. They're going to come to me because I'm Danny Wallace. They're going to come to me because I'm the Queen Bee. They're going to come to me because I'm going to deliver stuff to them in a way that's going to make them feel great, that's going to make them be motivated. Is that other person going to do it in the same way? Well, no. So then I have to trust that if that if there's no new news and that news is helpful, that piece of information or that thing is helpful, then the people that are attracted to that person are going to be helped. Well, that's good. And the people that, that are going to be attracted to me are going to be helped and that's good 
and there's room at the table for everybody you know I can't service seven and a half billion people so they can have it for me <laughs> exactly exactly I guess there is room for everyone um, I was just a little bit curious about that but yeah look you you answered that really nice and uh, and I think I'd probably have a similar mentality as you as well if that happened just let them get on with it basically but Danny thank you so much as I was just gonna say it's hard it's, it's a hard thing to let go of when when you make that when you make that choice is you've got to be really strong and really you really talk about confidence earlier on in in the in the podcast is that knowledge and acceptance of yourself and I think that when you're letting something go like that it's just knowing and accepting the fact that you're still really strong you're still an expert it's not taking away anything and then there are processes and procedures in place if that gets out of hand and they're, they're stealing everything that you're doing then yeah for sure then get it involved but thank you so much for having me zoe it's been lovely to chat to you yeah you too thank you for being such a wonderful guest guys thank you so much for tuning in 